Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 924 of the Juicebox podcast. Today, David's on the show. He's using Android APS with some refinements. I'm going to let him tell you all about them. David has a very popular diabetes blog called Bionic Wookie. You can check it out at bionicwookie.com. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you'd like to get 35% off at CozyEarth.com, you can do that with the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. If you'd like to get a free year's supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs with your first order of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you do that at athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. And if you'd like to save 10% off your first month of therapy, you do that at betterhelp.com forward slash juicebox. David's terrific. You're going to love him. He's from Australia. Fantastic guy. Um, Wait till you hear what he's doing with this do-it-yourself algorithm. It's really astonishing. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1, a fantastic organization helping people with type 1 diabetes. Check them out on their Facebook page, their Instagram page, and at touchedbytype one I'm going to be speaking at their next big event. I hope to see you there. I'm David Byrne. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I've had type 1 diabetes for 40 years now. Wow. Um, I mean, but in my mid-50s. No, I'll be in my mid-50s later this month. That's what my wife tells me. Sounds like you're 54. Yes. Let's see. Uh, quite a few Australians know me because I run a website called the Bionic Wookie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Star Wars reference in there, um, which is all about um, diabetes technology. Uh, I've been uh, living with closed loop systems, uh, self-built closed loop systems for about well, more than five years now. And I... I s- I've ended up coordinating a lot of the Australian community of do-it-yourselfers. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so you were diagnosed, geez, when you were like 14? Yes. Okay. Um, 40 years ago was 80... 82. 82. Jesus. Wow, that's a long time ago. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, you, You said you've been doing closed loop, so you've been doing... What, what have you tried a uh, bunch of different versions or which one did you start with? I guess. Okay. Um, so I started using a pump in, uh, 2010, mm-hmm. um, just to illustrate a little bit about my life. I've done various things during it at, uh, my endo had, uh, suggested to me, uh, a few times that, oh, these insulin pumps might be something that you'd be interested in. You're a fairly technical guy. But I had been very much in the world of, well, I know how injections work. Um, 
there's going to be this strange thing of something attached to me. Mm-hmm. What happens if I fall off a boat or I get wet or something? Because in those days, pumps weren't waterproof. Um, and then in late twin, late 2009, um, I attended a local event where I actually got to see and play with some of the Animas pumps, which were, hey, they were waterproof. Mm-hmm. And I decided, right, this is something I wanted to do. I think that event was in September. Then I organized with my DE, my DE to sort out getting a pump, but then I had to put it off until February because over December that year, I was artist in residence on a ship traveling up and down the Norwegian coast photographing the Northern Lights. Because <laughs> um, as well as working in IT, I've also spent quite a few years as a professional nature and wildlife photographer. Oh, wow. So I've done a few different things, but so I started pumping, um, and that went on for probably six years, uh, before I started using Libre. That was the first CGM I got access to. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 2016 and by early 2017, um, I'd seen the loop system and I'd seen the open APS system and I decided open APS was the way I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I started, I was carrying a little Android phone that was being my CGM and feeding the stuff into my little pocket computer that was running the uh, open APS stuff. I was using a, an old Medtronic pump. Um, and then in 2018, um, I got a combo pump, which were being sold in Australia at the time. And that's a pump that has Bluetooth in it and Android APS could talk directly to it. That's the AccuCheck? So, yes, the AccuCheck combo, which has, last year it was discontinued. Mm-hmm. That had that had Bluetooth in it in 2018? That had Bluetooth in it in 2011 when it came out. Wow. Oh, no kidding. That's cool. That's <laughs> it's a very cool. old and primitive pump, and the interface that talks to it is quite slow because basically it's pretending to be a person navigating through the menus. It's not actually sending it direct commands. Oh, no kidding. Do you, act, yeah. do, you, do you see it happen on screen? As it no, 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 the screen is blank at that point. Oh, okay. but, and it goes faster, faster than I would, but it's still slower than if you're actually sending commands directly to it. That's interesting. But it works. Yeah, wow. Um, and that works quite well. So um, I've been using Android-based systems since 2018. Okay. So you use OpenAPS still today? I don't use OpenAPS, but Android APS uses the same... Algorithm. Excuse me, I, I misspoke. But, but okay, Android APS. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm I'm not actually using Android APS at the moment. I'm using something that's very similar to it, uh, which is a version of the software that we've frozen for use in some clinical trials. Because I've been involved in running a clinical trial over the last few years of Android APS. Um, so this is on people in the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a randomized control trial, so it was all at the level that the medicos would actually pay attention to the results rather than people saying, oh, it works for me, I haven't killed myself. Yeah, right. Uh, um, And so that's through a local hospital, and basically um, (laughs) it feels like some of the staff there look at my clinical results of me living my own life doing stuff, and they say, oh, that's that's amazing results, but we need a clinical trial so we can actually prove this is works. And 
in other words, that I'm not, not just a freak. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, that it doesn't just work for you and no one else. But it is interesting yeah. how you are holding up your you are holding up yourself as an example and saying, "Hey, look at this. This is what's working for me." And they're like, "Yeah, that's nice. We need to prove it." Yeah. Like I feel like yeah, I am so proving that, it. Yeah. So the that that trial's over, and um, I, on on that one, I was the the local technical expert on this, how it all plugs together. And, oh, we're using a different insulin pump for this. So I was the guy who brought the Bluetooth driver to talk to the pump. So I'm fairly involved in the technical level as well. Okay. So um, okay, let me, just for people yeah. listening, I want to just make sure that they understand. So uh, Loop, for example, Arden um, uses a version of Loop. Actually, I think Arden's using Open APS right now uh, with the Autobolus version yep um that is that free aps free free apsx free free aps thank you well i don't this is the part that this is why you don't come to me david on any of this stuff arden's (laughs) using arden's using free aps which is a a a version of loop that does auto bolusing um we are waiting to see the version that um works with dash pods which i think they have getting i think they're getting it close to buttoning it up the loop world is, um, it seems to be a bit fragmented. Um, so there's various branches and versions that people are experimenting with, which is fair enough that happens in all systems. But there's loop. And then some guys made a, a branched version that they called free APS, which was looped with some extra auto bolus things. Mm-hmm. And then they made um, a different version which is called Free APS X with letter X on the end, and some people refer to it in shorthand as FAX. And that is the Open APS algorithm that's also used by Android APS and Open APS, but running on the iPhone. It's basically using all the communication stuff that was set up by Luke to talk to the pumps and the CGM, but they've put a different algorithm in the middle. Mm-hmm. So there's at least three different systems on uh, on iPhones and. To a certain extent, they all look and feel very similar. Yeah, is there? So, so it's a bit hard to know what people are using when they say, "Oh, I'm using free APS." Uh, which one? <laughs> yeah, trust me, I I don't know that I know. I think sometimes I just I you know I have people around me that say, "Hey, this is the one you should be using right now." I'm like, "Okay, fair enough." Uh, yep. Do you think there's a lot of outcome difference between Loop, Android APS, Open, all that stuff? Do you think people have basically similar experiences? I do think there's. Uh, a difference. Um, the Open APS algorithm, uh, which is called OREF1, um, just in case I mention that again, um, that has a bunch of things. It, it has um, SMBs, super microboluses. So it's, that's where it calculates, oh, we need this much basal to do this amount of work because we think we know where the glucose is going so we need this much insulin but the basal is going to take a while to get it in there so the super micro bolus will take a portion of that and deliver some of it as a small bolus now and then in five minutes it might say oh we need some more or it might say oh i better not put too much in because we've suddenly changed direction Mm -hmm. just as well i didn't put it all in at once um so that has made it um reasonably fast at reacting to things it's carbohydrate model um unlike the commercial loop systems 
it's a dynamic one where you tell it how many carbs, just like Loop, you tell it how many carbs and then it decays those away. It has an idea of how many carbs are on board and that's partly affected by what your glucose has been doing. So it basically only decays them away when it says, oh, it looks like that that was one of the carb effects going on because that wasn't the same as what we predicted was going to happen without the carbs. Mm-hmm. But then it has a mode called UAM, which is unannounced meals, where it looks at what your glucose is doing and says, that looks like food. I'm going to treat it like it was food. I have not counted carbs or declared food to my system for almost two years now. I asked ChatGPT to write an ad for Touched by Type 1. And here's what it came up with. This episode is brought to you by Touched by Type 1, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and empowering individuals living with type 1 diabetes. Living with type 1 diabetes is a daily challenge, but Touched by Type 1 is here to make that journey a little bit easier. With their incredible range of resources, educational programs, and community events, they're committed to making a positive impact on the lives of those affected by type 1 diabetes. From the Dancing for Diabetes event to their annual conference, which, by the way, I'll be speaking at. Doesn't mention me, but I'm not insulted by that. Um, Touched by Type 1 is always striving to make a difference. And the best part, Touched by Type 1 is offering our listeners an exclusive opportunity to join their community and assess their resources for free. That's actually all true. Touchedbytype1.org. Just visit their uh, website or find them on Facebook or Instagram. Touchedbytype1.org love this thing. I'm not even going to have to think anymore. Don't let type 1 diabetes define you. With Touched by Type 1 by your side, you can lead a fulfilling life and take control of your health. So head over to touchedbytype1.org and get in there. Learn more about it. I'm adding that part because it's pretty great. They have a wonderful website. They do a lot of amazing things for people with type 1. Uh, There's a bunch of programs. Just seriously, take a couple of minutes to look into them. And if you're coming out to their event this year, I hope we meet. Please say hello. Touchedbytype1.org. I have not counted carbs or declared food to my system for almost two years now. I do not carb count. I do not bolus. I just eat and live my life. I don't know anyone who manages to do that on loop unless they're a low carber. Mm-hmm. I would probably eat. 200 to 300 grams of carbs most days and sometimes i go way over that hmm. so i would not describe myself as a low carber so so, so the uam unannounced what does it stand for uh, unannounced meals unannounced meals so and this is the, on the android aps that you're using that has it yes okay and it sees so you just eat and it sees the rise, assumes it's a meal, and hits it? Essentially. It's doing it in that cautious way of we're not going to bolus everything. We we don't think this is a 100-gram meal, so we're going to give it however many units of insulin right now. Mm-hmm. It does it piecemeal, but because it can come along every five minutes and dose another little bit more, it reacts fairly well. Now... I knew that the system had this, that the algorithm had this functionality in it 
back in 2017 when I started. And this was one of the things that probably affected my decision as to which system I was going to go for. I didn't know anyone who went completely bolusless at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always doing that in the background and saying, oh, you missed a snack. I'm going to bolus something for it. Um, and back in those days, I was using Humalog. That was the fastest insulin we had access to here. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got access to Fiasp, I thought, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm finally going to be able to try and go hands-free. Uh, and we were going out for Mexican that night, and that was a disaster. So, <laughs> Didn't work out the way you hoped. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it took a fair bit of fine-tuning. First of all, I had to get the um, dosing adjustments changed for FIASP because the system was reacting slightly differently. Um, but then I know a lot of people who see what I'm doing and they come along and say, quite understandably, I want that, right. What do I do to plug these things and turn it on? Cause I want that. I want that now. And my general feeling is, well, it takes a while because you need to know that you've got your underlying settings, right? Cause what I started with was, yes, I was counting everything. Uh, declaring everything. I was counting and declaring um, protein as well, because protein I can declare as as though they were a smaller amount of carbs in the future. It sort of matches what the body does. Right. I was I was counting and bolusing for food, and then I was getting great timing range. Everything was going where I wanted, and then I'd start. Um, skipping announcing on some snacks and oh it worked i stayed in range and then you do it on a bigger snack or a meal and it all goes out the window and it's oh, i haven't quite got it right mm. go back and fine tune then i went through a phase where i counted and declared the carbs but i didn't bolus well, actually a step before that i i counted and declared all the carbs but i bolused less than the full amount with the expectation the system was going to take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. But essentially, in my mind, when you're bolus for something with these systems, the bolus is really just giving it a head start. The algorithm should work out what's going on, and if you've told it what carbs are in there, that's going to do great. Mm-hmm. If it has to guess it all by itself, it might not go quite as well. I actually found if I under counted the carbs the system it's almost as though the system says but you, you told me it was this much and it doesn't react fast enough if i overcount the carbs a bit it says oh you've told me it's this much but i haven't seen all of those yet and eventually oh they must have not been there because the algorithms always had this thing where it dynamically decays the carbs so that if you didn't eat the second course or you dropped your ice cream and didn't actually eat it then it wouldn't necessarily um, try and deal with all that food that you might not have actually eaten Mm -hmm. so it's fairly flexible in that way but it was a general process of um, taking away the bolusing but still declaring the carbs declaring all the protein and yes everything was coming in right oh no i have to tune things my insulin to carb ratio needs a bit of tweaking or my profile needs a bit of tweaking and and then I think it was November was 
I, I made some notes in my diary. November was the last time I bolused. And then in February was the last time that I uh, declared carbs because I'd, I'd gone through Christmas with not bolusing, declaring all the food, but not bolusing. And this was Christmas, New Year. There was lots of food on the table and everything sort of went in range. And that gave me the confidence to say, right, let's, let's go completely hands-free and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And it did. Let me ask you a little bit about the food you're eating. So, I mean, is this like a very balanced meal of natural foods and et cetera, or is this Captain Crunch? At, you know what I mean? Like, are we, are you not taking in a lot of uh, high fructose corn syrup? Are you <laughs> avoiding things like that? Um, I do have celiac disease, so I'm avoiding things with gluten in them, mm -hmm. which means that I tend, I tend not to eat so much bread. So maybe my diet isn't completely typical. Um, I do, I do find, I, I try to eat sensibly, but I don't all the time. We try to have meat and veggies and, um, a mixture of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Breakfast is the meal that I probably pay most attention to because I always found that I was most sensitive to carbs after fasting. Yes. And that might be because the gut is all primed and ready to accept these carbs and leap on them. That might be one way of looking at them. Um, I have some friends who have um, children with diabetes and they swear by, no, we, we, give the kids something to line their stomachs that's like uh, bacon and eggs or something, and then they can have cereal and it doesn't spike them through the roof. So my breakfast, um, I have a standard breakfast, so basically yogurt and some strawberries and some psyllium husks, so there's fibre in there. It's just a simple, basic breakfast that I don't have to think about. I can just get up and go to the kitchen and have breakfast and get on with my day. I'm on autopilot at that point. Mm -hmm. And it's not a huge amount of carbs. Um, and once my body's reacted to that, and I chose that breakfast when I was still in, um, still counting and bolusing because it was just easy to organize. I didn't have to think about what's my carb count this morning. I could just say, I think it's about 17 grams for breakfast. It's not a, not a high carb breakfast. But after that, whatever food I feel like eating, whether it's, 180 gram block of chocolate or um, an apple or um, sometimes I'll have a, like I said, I tend not to eat bread. So sometimes I have things in wraps, but they're sweet potato wraps because there's no gluten in those. Mm -hmm. um, most of my, I, I tried to go low carb in 2017. I thought, this this will help me control my um, my glycemia, which was bouncing around all over the place. Um, but in fact, it didn't especially help. Um, I then I was actually thinking at the time I need to lose weight because I was classified as obese at that point, um, and I didn't really lose weight. But later on, I worked out no, it's about actually about the calories when you're trying to lose the weight. Yeah. Just, just eat a reasonable number of carbs. Um, but I've never really, actually, when I say never, years ago when I started out, it was you inject this much and then you eat this much. We ate to the insulin. Sure. Whereas now it's um, 
if I ate more, I'm going to inject more, or more to the point, if I ate more, my pump will have delivered more insulin by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. When you say staying in range, what do you mean by that? What are your goals? Okay. Um, So I use, I'm hesitating a little bit because my brain tends to run in millimoles, and I know you're used to milligrams. So um, in milligrams, the range I aim for myself, like the green band on my setup is, uh, 70 to 140. Okay. And my target is around 90. That's where the system's aiming most of the time. How often do you get under 60, a low that you need to do something about? Um, let's see my, now my brain is saying what's 60. <laughs> I can get up my uh my chart um, so I can talk to you like this. Hold on a second. Uh three point three point three. Bloody hell. Um sorry, I shouldn't swear. Um the what I should do is one of my friends calls me Sir Graffalot. Uh let me pull up a spreadsheet. <laughs> um my time in range for uh, 70 to 140 is generally averages around 85%. Oh, wow. Um, and if I just find this document, here we go. Um, my time below range for... Uh, I've got all sorts of pretty graphs here. Here we go. Um, time below range for 3.3. That would be around half a percent of the day on average. So you don't, generally speaking, find yourself rescuing your blood sugar with fast-acting glucose very often? Every now and then, um, I've had some weird things just in the last couple of days where I'll, I'll be low in the middle of the night. And this is, hang on, this is not the way the world works, but it's a timing thing to the, with the way I've changed a few settings recently and it's to do with the high insulin on board that I've had the previous night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm tuning that. So I've generally got rescue cards around um, and I always have rescue cards with me if I'm off on a big bike ride. Uh, exercise makes things tricky, yeah. but I generally don't go through them very often. When you talked about earlier that you had to change your settings to work in this in this system that you use, where you're you're basically you're telling the, I guess you're telling the algorithm, look, I'm eating, but don't give me all this insulin or don't give me any of it, and then it's on you to use it as you see fit. Um, are you still doing a Hmm. What what's my question here? Did you change your settings to make them so heavy that they wouldn't work manually if you went back to just? Do you know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Uh, my um, so the the basal that's programmed in is my default basal. If my loop turns off, I know that it will keep me fairly flat. Okay, with as long as I'm not changing things with food and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all of those numbers are traditional numbers. 
but I'm really confident in them. And um, some of the other things that I tweaked were tuning uh, the insulin modeling. So, for example, the duration of the insulin in, in the system and the way it decays so that hours after a big meal, the estimate of insulin on board is actually correct. And I found that made a big difference to how the system was automatically reacting. Mm -hmm. If I can make its predictions actually match reality. Was that easier when you moved to Fiasp? Um, I actually found it, um, yes, I found it easier to tune and notice the differences when I went to faster insulin. So I've used, I don't know, use what, Nova Rapid and Apedra and Humalog and Fiasp and Liumjev. We can't get Liumjev in Australia. I mean, it's not even, it's not approved as a medicine here, but we're allowed to import it for personal use. So <laughs> uh, I got some from a friend in Europe and um, have done some experiments and it's quite nice. The faster insulins, um, the decay in the insulin um, happens faster. So it makes a lot of these things more visible. Right, so the interested. so the so the algorithm it's more precise. So the yes, yeah, so the decisions. I, I I found it easier to make that tuning, but at the same time, um, having tuned the system, it felt like the faster insulin let me move into this mode where it, the system could take care of most things for me. Mm-hmm. But I have since experimented and gone back to the slower insulins like Humalog and Nova Rapid, and life stays the same interesting it's all it's all automatic it does i do go high after a meal and it takes longer to come down and looking back in the old days i probably would have said oh i'm too high i need the bolus i need to correct and get things down whereas now i have confidence in what the system is doing and i know in a couple of hours it'll have me down at the right point i'll be flat in the morning it'll be fine yeah so the faster insulins um uh mm, they give me more freedom, mm-hmm. but I know the the uh, the slower insulins work. There is a complication uh, in trying to compare them, though, because I compared my timing range for a couple of weeks on one versus a couple of weeks on the other, and they were about the same. I was thinking, hang on, this can't be right. The faster insulin is supposed to be better. And then I realized I wasn't eating the same because I had the faster insulin. It's, oh, I'll just eat that, and it'll, t- it'll take care of it. So oh, I wasn't keeping everything else the same. That's interesting. I I tried my hardest to switch Arden over to one, and she just had the the fiasp. She describes sometimes as burning, but but the biggest problem is that when her pump site came off, it felt bruised for for a while after that. Um, the Lumjev was significantly worse than the fiasp for, her, which is a shame because I also talked to a lot of people who don't have any trouble with it, but. Well, I, I I was aware of these going in because a whole bunch of um, people in Europe have been using it for a while and have discovered things about them. So, whoops, my <laughs> background's just gone. That's funny. <laughs> um, the, uh, with Fiasp, Fiasp is Nova Rapid with the addition of, um, what is it, uh, niacinamide as the main accelerant. Um, and yes, a lot of people report stinging. Some people report um, occlusions. Sometimes they say the occlusions in the pump. Um, 
some of them re report that their site gets red and inflamed and they have to um, change the cannula more often. Uh, some people report that after some random time, whether it's three months, six months or whatever, it's like it turns into water and it doesn't work anymore and they have to change back to something else. Mm -hmm. I was aware of all these things before I started. So what I did was I, I mixed BS with non-accelerated insulin. Um, so if you think about Nova Rapid and Fiasp are the same thing, but Fiasp has some of this accelerant in it. If you mix them together, it's still the same insulin, but there's less accelerant spreads around. Uh, so no doctor is going to say you can do this, but it's all completely off label. Uh, but I used that sort of setup for about three months and I didn't have any stinging. Hmm. And then eventually I changed to hundred percent and I didn't have any stinging and I haven't had any stinging. When it came to Lumjev, similarly, Lumjev is the same insulin as Humalog, but with the addition of a, a little vasodilator, tropistanol. I think I've remembered that name right. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, it's also used in some other therapies um, as a vasodilator. And the general reports there seem to be it stings like hell, but you get used to it after six months and your body adjusts and it goes away. So what I did with Limjev was I mixed it with Humalog, so I had a lower concentration. And I did that for a few months before I went 100%, and I haven't had any stinging. I did notice some stinging early on, but it didn't last long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things relating to that is uh, Lumjev is available in U200 as well as U100. And a lot of people report that the U200 doesn't sting as much. Interesting. And that makes sense because the accelerant in that is the same concentration for U100 and U200 by volume. So when you administer one unit of the U200, you're getting half the amount of accelerant than you would with the U100. So it's the same sort of thing of less accelerant. Right. Less thing. Yeah, Arden described the Lumjev as unbearable. Like she she lived with the fiasco for yeah. week, weeks and weeks and weeks before she finally just said this isn't getting any better. Um, but the uh, the the Lumjev, she was like, I, you have to take this off of me. I don't I don't think she made it maybe more than an hour or so, which I I yeah. found I found yeah, I, I, know, exceptional. I don't I don't know if my success with them has been because I took it very slowly and introduced it slowly, or just whether I was never going to have a problem anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't no, know. There's but, no way to know. So this process you use, do other people use it as well, or is it just work for you? Like, like I mean, you, I mean, you're describing basically not counting carbs and and not pre-bolusing at all, uh, and you're doing it just with settings. I mean, you know, that well, sounds I, great. I, that sounds I, a little crazy. So I'm trying to decide if you if you've given it to other people or not. Um. I started doing this because other people were doing it uh, with some of the faster insulins mm -hmm. um, in, in Europe. Um, and I've 
I've been doing it for a while and I've been fairly vocal in our local community about the fact that I'm operating this way because you know, someone says, ah, oh, I had to carb count for this, I had the bolus. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a bit mean sometimes I say, a bolus? What's a bolus? Um, but some people have told me since that they've been, basically they've been emboldened what I'm doing by what I'm doing and they occasionally don't bolus for some foods and everything works and some people um don't bolus anymore but they do announce most of their foods or they announce the big meals sort of there's these compromise lines Mm -hmm. because one of the nice things about this is you don't necessarily have to switch everything and go completely hand three you can do any of those stages along the way and it's been surprising for me how many people just pipe up every now and then and say oh yeah it's working for me too and it's oh okay right well we can um I guess you can kind of post date a bolus in loop. So mm-hmm. if Arden's taking in uh, something that I think is like, has a lot of fat in it or it's been deep fried or something like that. Um, th- those sorts of foods, if she makes a, a bolus and pre bolus is her meal and then tells the loop, I don't know, an hour from now, expect 20 more, you know, the impact of 20 more carbs, yep. for example, um, I find that gives the loop the autonomy to push harder when it sees a rise than it would if you didn't put these, you know, this impact yep. in the future. That works really well, honestly. Yeah, I I used setups like that um, early, early on mm-hmm. to try and understand what was going on, um, and that works quite well. A um, couple of things to talk about there. So... Um, <laughs> there is a strong sense of yes, this stuff works for me, but maybe it's just that I'm a freak. Um, I don't mind being called a freak as long as it's got us. You're doing it with a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. Um, I know quite a few other people. I, I've said it's surprising that this is working for quite a few people, but there's also quite a few people who say, "Well, no, it doesn't work for me. I've tried that and it doesn't work." Now, I don't know if their bodies are different. Maybe their bodies are the same and they're just not holding their mouths the right way, but I think that's less likely than we are all different because that's the nature of diabetes. We're all different. Um, I know quite a few people um, in Europe are saying um, the totally hands-free stuff works, um, but you have to be using Jev for it to work. And you need all of these settings. And some of them use fairly aggressive setups where uh, they enable some of the automation in Android APS. So, for example, when you're going high, it changes the rates and says we need a a stronger profile to try and fight it to bring it down. And essentially, they start implementing another level of loop algorithm on top of what the system's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that sort of works for them. And I tried doing some of those things early on, but I found it often overreacted. And for me, I found it was better to get the base algorithm doing the right thing. Now, there's a bunch of people who've made variants of Android APS. There's a um, Dynamic ISF, uh, Boost, Amy. Um, there's a, a Tsunami. There's a, a bunch of different variants where people have been changing the algorithm to make it more aggressive. So it says, oh, it looks like we're getting food. We're going to change the rates and dose more for the next half hour or do whatever changes. 
And if you've been using a lot of insulin lately, we're going to assume that you're more insulin sensitive and dynamically change things. So people have been doing all sorts of experiments. Uh, and a lot of people are quite enthusiastic about those systems. They're, they're not mainstream yet. They're still experimental uh, versions on the site. Um, I'm probably the unusual thing about me is I'm managing to do this with the base, the standard stuff that's been around for a while and right. not using those advanced algorithms. Yeah. Well, now I, I did mean, I did mention the last um, clinical trial I was involved in, which is over, which was using Android APS and showing that yes, it's safe and effective and we get good clinical results. Um, we're lining up to do the next one. And I mentioned before, the researchers tend to look at what I'm doing and say, we need to work out how to do that. You can guess what the next trial's about. <laughs> they're gonna, they're <laughs> gonna try to figure out why you're not, you're not having to pre-bolus your meals. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're gonna have a whole bunch of people in two countries who will be doing that in a randomized control trial. Wow, how long does that take to do that, that study? Uh, it's gonna take about two years to run, I think. How many people do you think will be involved in it? Uh, it's less than 100, and they're not all running at once. That's why it gets spread out a little bit. But people will be involved in the trial for over six months each. Well, that's pretty great. When they get that, when these hospitals get this information, what do they do with it? Right? Because it's, like, it's not like Android APS is a company. You don't go back to them and say, here's what we're learning. You do, there's not a... Um, there's not like a dedicated, you know, group of a half a million people sitting in a circle waiting for you to come back with it and tell them what to do. Like, what happens when you get the data? Is it just inform more research well, or, you know what I mean? What's it, what's the goal of it, I guess? Well, the, uh, I called it a hospital. The, the sort of hospital I'm working with is actually not a hospital. It's a medical research institute Okay, that happen, that happens to have, patients and run um, endocrinology practice and do all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of the uh, participants in trials, they do lots of trials, most of the participants in trials come from their client base. I see. Okay. So they have um, other so, things they're trying to, uh, to move forward as well. Yeah. yeah. And cer certainly the results of this stuff gets fed back to the community mm -hmm. because this stuff is used in um, multiple... Uh, by, by multiple software systems. It's used on some of the iPhone systems, like FreeAPSX, for example, the same algorithm. Right. Um, and there's a general feeling of everyone should be able to benefit from this because the algorithm that's being used is not some secret source, not something that um, Type 0 have made up in a lab and or Cam Diab have made up in a lab and are not telling people exactly how it works because that's their secret source. This is all open source. Everyone can see what it's happening. So hopefully new products will come out and be able to take advantage of this because this stuff is really making life easier and better for me and for lots of other people. And it needs to be able to do that for a lot more. Yeah. Well, Everyone deserves one of those systems. Yeah. That's the real goal, isn't it? Is and and what I was thinking earlier while you were talking is even though the um even though the the retail systems are all real relatively new in the last couple of years it's still 
kind of astonishing that they can mass market, put it on people and get results like that. Because I mean, like what you're talking about is I have a system, but now I, I significantly understand um, the implementation of how it works. I, I significantly understand my settings, like really specific stuff that you put a lot of time and effort and attention to while other people are just like, look, I'm buying this thing. It's on. I want it to go. And they're having reasonable like results for the most part. And that's astonishing to me. Like, I don't know how you make something that, that needs this level of detail. And yet, you know what I mean? Like you don't ask the people what they eat. You don't ask them if they're hydrated. You don't ask them if they exercise, if they don't exercise in it. And people are, I don't know. Well, it's, it's amazing. You know? Um, oh, I do still tell my system when I'm exercising, I tell it to change targets because I'm managing the insulin on board. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think most of the commercial systems have that, whether it's MAPS has, you're going to ease off or a boost. It's basically got a break in an accelerator function and control IQ has exercise mode. And yeah, all, all I meant is that you can't, you can't know that when you hand something out to the masses, they're oh, not. Yeah. They're not. They're not all doing and, it the way you are. You know what I mean. And, and and this this is the big compromise that we're all dealing with. Um, and this is why the commercial systems. Uh, I guess it's one of the reasons why the commercial systems don't have all of the functionality that, for example, I have access to because sure. they've had to go through the regulators because the regulators say this needs to be safe and not kill people. Yeah. and for everybody. Not just people yeah. who will take a ton of time now, to understand it, but, you know. Now, um, unfortunately, um, some of those regular decisions, I I think sometimes because they don't, it, it may be because they don't always include people with diabetes in that decision-making process. I think they sometimes end up with less safe things, such as the examples of the Medtronic system. Uh, so they had the first commercial um, closed loop. And it's basically, oh, we've been working too hard. We've, I've been giving you so much extra insulin and you're not coming down. So I now need to stop and drop into manual mode and stop helping you because it's obviously not working. That was some bean counter said, well, that's the safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm sick in bed with the flu, I want the damn thing to keep delivering insulin and to help me get through this problem. Yeah. 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 Well, and you no, know, it's a hundred percent. I mean, all of them are, I'm assuming at some point drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is, this is as far as we'll, we'll say we can help. And you know, if something happens past that, it's got to go yeah, back on, but, the, on the user. Uh, right? So, yeah. And yeah. But so, I think some of those uh, fall back on the user have been a little bit primitive, in terms of, well, that's the way it used to work when you had a manual system. Mm-hmm. We just say, oh, the user take care of it again. But the user at that point has got used to it doing a lot of work for them. So it's suddenly a bigger dropout for them and it becomes less safe. So right. finding the compromise on all of this is a challenge for everyone. Arden's at college now. And just last night, she had a meal while she was, you know, she's in her room working. And um, I think it, I'm I'm watching it like get away from her and I sent her a text and I don't think she saw the first one and then she gets this rise that just goes 140 150 160 and I'm like Arden you know you didn't put in a secondary bolus if the meal was and, and now I'm at a bit of a loss I don't know what she ate you know so I'm like if the meal was heavy in this or this 
you know, you forgot your secondary bowl. She's like, well, it wasn't. So I'm just going to make a correction here. And I'm like, okay, but I didn't see it working. And now she's fighting with it for a few, you know, a few hours in the late evening. And um, she just, she loses the fight with the bolus and she loses the fight with being tired and she just goes to sleep. And, you know, I tried to wake her up. I, I, and you know, it's a higher blood sugar, not a lower one. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, I sent her a text. I'm like, Hey, you got a bolus again. I don't hear from her. I finally called and woke her up and I said, Hey, you know, put, put some insulin in here. But at that point, David, I don't know what to tell her. I don't know what she ate. I can see what the, the algorithm's been trying its hardest over the last couple of hours. It's not working. You know, it's just keeping her level at a higher number. I know she needs more insulin, but I don't know how much. And I'm tired. And you and I got to, we're going to do this. I'm going to be up early in the morning. My son and I are doing something later tonight. Like I've been sick recently. I'm like, I got to sleep a little bit here. And so we put in enough insulin. We weren't as aggressive with it as I would have been if we were wide awake and looking at the same example. But she woke up this morning at like 110. And I mean, on any manual system, or if a system would have kicked into manual, she would have been, I mean, I'm assuming she would have been 200 plus and it would, and she would not have woken up with any kind of resolution to the blood sugar. This doesn't happen to her all the time, but it's your point about, you know, I know this thing's going to do what it's going to do and I'm going to end up okay. It's a, it's an amazing benefit, you know? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, what, what else did you want to talk about? You know, what, 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 uh, what made you think I want to come on and talk about this on a podcast? I, uh, I think it was probably something I posted in the Facebook group that you responded to and thought he sounds like an interesting person to talk to. I definitely did that. Um, <laughs> it I have to be. But I have to admit, David, 45 minutes into this, I don't especially understand why you don't have to bolus for food. <laughs> I don't I don't know that I Okay. Yeah, I don't know that I understand why it's working for you or the you know, like if somebody's listening to this well, right now and they're like, Well, I don't want to bolus for food, like this sounds great. Like, what do I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I don't have easy answers, but I've got some things that might help understanding a little bit because I've Talk to a lot of people who say, how, "How can this? How can this work?" The, there's for a start, the CGM is always lagging behind, mm -hmm. and, and then when when we in, when we inject the insulin, it's going to take a while to happen. So when the system sees that I'm going up, how can it react in time? It, it's hard enough for me to bolus and pre-bolus enough for something to act in time. But I think part of it is. Uh, the way the dosing works, because it does all these predictions, uh, the, the RF1 algorithm, sorry, when you're using loop, you see the predictions of where we're going to go. Mm -hmm. And that, or I should say the prediction, singular prediction. It's a line that goes off somewhere and it might go down below zero at some point, then come back up three hours later and go sky high, which doesn't make any sense because if the line went that way, you'd be dead by then. Mm -hmm. um, the... RF1 algorithm draws, uh, it's called an, an ensemble forecast, multiple lines. One of them says, this is where we'll go if you didn't eat any of the food you just told us about. This is where you'll go if you did eat the food. This is where you go, this is where you'd go if um, we turned off the insulin now. It, it, it makes a bunch of predictions. Mm-hmm. 
And there's another line of this is where we go we'll go uh, with UAM. So where we think you're going based on what we've noticed about the food, that's where the line goes. See, there's these massive lines that go out to the right on the graph. And a lot of people look at that, they're different colours. They look at it and say, well, how do I know which one is right? Well, the system doesn't know which one is right because those are all different possibilities. Yeah. But it plays a safe game so that if any of those are going down into hypo territory, it's going to make the decisions to try and keep you out of there. It makes a guess as to which one of those is your likely ending point. But that guess may change in five minutes' time. Mm -hmm. Every five minutes is drawing new predictions and saying, right, looks like we're going over there. It looks like we need this much insulin to try and get us back to target. And then if we if it calculates that we need, oh, it looks like we need three units of insulin, then it might deliver one of those or one and a half of those. And then five minutes later, it can say, oh, no, oh, no, no, we need 10 units of insulin. So it starts putting some more in. Um, so it actually does that at a much finer level. So if I was looking at my CGM and saying, oh, it's trundling along, it's going up and down, going up and down, that's about level. Or is that going up? Oh, the next reading comes in. Oh, is that going up? Yeah, I think that's going up a little bit. I'm going to have to bolus. The automated system by that point will have been doing a bunch of little micro boluses along the way saying, looks like we might be going up, we'll need a little bit. Right. Looks like we're going up a little bit more, we'll need a little bit more. The point is, those little bits of insulin are already in your system and working. So when we're looking at things manually and saying, all right, I need to dose now, we've introduced a big delay and the insulin is going to have to play catch up. So I think that regular dosing actually helps the system stay on top because it's taken a few choices, trying to stay safe along the way and added some insulin into the system already. It's almost like it works better when it has insulin working and it can adjust by taking away instead of well, something. Well, we can, never t we, we, we can never take the insulin out. Once no, 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 not, not taking away what's <laughs> in there, but taking away basal in the future. Do you know what I mean? Like, instead of you using uh, a unit of basal over an hour, it sometimes it feels like if you just gave it the unit and then let it decide, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'll turn the basal off. And I'll put it back on to point two and I'll bring like, you give it a lot of uh, autonomy that way. And I've, I have noticed that it, 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 it works well when it has the, the insulin at its disposal and then kind of works backwards from that. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um, it, 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 it sort of does yeah. in a non-looping environment. We all start off from the assumption that the basal is just constant mm -hmm. whereas no now we know we can turn that off or turn it back on the, in the future so historically um endos often talk about your basal bolus ratio oh 50 50 percent is a nice balance and crazy talk as far as i'm concerned um for a start if you're eating a, if you're having a high carb day you're going to have a lot more bolus but your basal is not necessarily going to be more mm -hmm. But then it doesn't really matter if it's basal or bolus. It's just insulin that goes in. It doesn't matter if it gets given as a bunch of separate boluses or as increased basal. It's just insulin. As right. long as the system is tracking when it goes in, we're getting the right amount at the right time. That mix of which one it is doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, which makes it a little bit hard when you have an endo who says, 
but the percentage. Well, I know um, something about the setup of Omnipod 5, they want it near 50-50, but then the algorithm almost immediately makes decisions after that and moves things around. So I don't think, you know, it's something about the way that one's set up, it's important, but, you know, when you go back and look at the insulin, it's not, not always going to be like that. Yeah, I don't see why that's, I don't understand why 50-50 is important. That sounds arbitrary. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's a historical artifact. When people were dealing with basal and bolus injections, that was sort of a guideline as to this sort of works for most people. It's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the goal that you need to try and get back to. Right. No, you need um, the basal you need, and you need the and you need the bolus you need. That's it. It's just well, yeah. well, well. In, in today's world, with the pumps adjusting things up and down, you just need the right amount of insulin at the right time. And the basal and bolus is all the same stuff. Right. You know, so whether you take away what we were going to give it by default by basal in the future, which is what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. amounts to the same thing. Well, I, I I think too, I want to, I want to mention that the idea of like, I don't understand why do, why do I notice things working very immediately on a, on a looping system when we know the data is behind from the CGM, when the insulin takes time to work. I don't know how to describe why that is, but I do know it's true. Like, I I do, I and I do think it's just, I think the algorithm, by, by guessing at the future or predicting so many different possibilities in the future, I think it's somehow shortening the, the distance between what's actually happening in this moment and what the data can tell us is happening because you can, and tell me if you've seen this too, you can look at a blood sugar that's not moving. Right. And the algorithm's trying, it's given like with, with loop, what is it giving you? Like, I think 40% of what it's suggesting. So it suggests a unit. It gives you 0.4. It waits five minutes. There's still 0.6 less that it hasn't given you. It gives you another like 40% of that. And it's it's making those boluses along the way. And you look and you go, this is not enough. It's clearly not enough. If you manually in that moment push up the basal insulin or you manually in that moment give all the suggested insulin, the blood sugar almost turns, I don't want to say immediately, but it's shockingly quick after that. Like it really does feel like cause and effect in a way that you don't expect. I've never seen that manually working with an insulin pump, but I have, I've seen it so many times in loop that I trust that that's what's about to happen. And, and I think that's largely those earlier doses that I was talking about is been giving you partial do, uh, doses along the way. And right. those are all adding up. Yeah. And you're, and you're this close, but it's just not tipping. And then you yeah. just push a little harder and then all of a sudden you so, just see it go. So some of, the, some of the things that I was adjusting when I was tuning my system and making it more effective is some of the safety limit. You talked there about the 40%. Right. Um, so in the RF1 system, there's some controls for, well, it will do 50% of the calculated um, Insulin, it will do 50% now, and then in five minutes might do another 50% of the new prediction. Um, but there's also a limit of, it's essentially borrowing basal from the future. It calculates, this is how much basal we need, and then it'll say, all right, I can use the next 90 minutes of that, I can bring forward into this initial dose. Yeah. Or maybe 
the next 45 minutes or maybe the next 120 minutes. So you can make it more aggressive and borrowing stuff in the future. And if you do that too much and your settings aren't right, then it can end up essentially overdosing you. You'll go low later. Right, right. So the the safety limits uh, are set relatively low initially mm-hmm. because they don't want it overreacting. So it was uh, watch the system and see that I can see that I'm going up and I can see what it's dosing, and I don't think it's doing enough. And I look at the calculations. There's all these messages coming out in the logs. If you go and look at the right page in the software, it says we, we've constrained this because of this. Mm. And it's, all right, I'll increase the safety limits a bit. So there were um, some tweaking there, not just of changing my my ratios and so on, but also freeing up the system so it was going to make the right choices without just opening the floodgates and letting it overdose me too much. So let me ask you this. There's a person like yourself who understands all this and donates the time to it to help themselves out. But generally speaking, how many people do you think are doing this even across the globe? Like how many people with type one do you think are using some sort of a do it yourself algorithm? Can it be that many? Tens of thousands, at least. Okay. I mean, that's, um, that, that's, so that's one of those things where, like, that's a substantial number until you look at the whole of everybody who uses insulin to stay alive, and then you're like, well, nobody yeah. nobody does it. Um, why do you think that is? Because, I mean, Arden's been looping for years now. You know, she took a break and did Omnipod 5 for a while, which worked exactly the way we expected it to but she really did not want to carry around the receiver that was necessary for it. So right before she went back to college, she's like, can I please switch back to, to loop? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, I just like it on my phone. And it's interesting because she doesn't really have a lot of the concern about the, you know, the switches and the levers. She was just like, this is fine or this is fine. And in her mind, it came down to carrying a thing. Um, yeah. But, I, I, but but I know how well it works, David. Like any of them. Like, but why can't we get people onto them? Like, why why is there not like a mass? Do you know what I mean? Like, in your, do you have any idea? Well, um, I think the the commercial loop systems. Ha- ha- the good thing about those is they become more accessible to more people easily because the doctors can just basically scribble. On, on the books and say, right, we need to get you this and get you set up. Yeah. And they've got a better chance than not having access to it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's changed here in Australia is um, halfway through this year, we finally got uh, CGM subsidized for everyone with type one. Right. Yeah. So in, instead of paying 330 30 Australian dollars for a month's worth of um, sensors, we now pay $32. Mm-hmm. And strangely enough, that's making it a lot more accessible for the companies to introduce their loop systems because now Medtronic is saying, well, if you lock, that's what we have to do is with the subsidy is we have to specify which CGM system we're using. So Medtronic is saying, if you um, lock into the Medtronic CGM, we will give you a Medtronic 780G. We will upgrade you. Mm-hmm. Because they get to sell sensors 
and everyone gets the benefit along the way of, oh, um, a closed-loop system. Um, Ipsomed here in Australia, they have the little Ipso pump, and that's uh, they've now got... Uh, CAM APS, which is another closed loop system that runs against that pump, that's now rolling out in Australia, and suddenly a lot more people are saying, "Oh, I've got access to this stuff." Great. Yeah. It, I think I think the uptake of people who are using closed loop systems, I think it's going up dramatically, and we we want to see some more statistics and polls on that to sort of see what's going on. I ran a poll a couple of years ago on the number of loopers in Australia. It was a couple hundred at the time, but that was all do-it-yourself stuff at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, here in America where things are, I mean, the, these a lot of these different devices are readily available and, you know, a number of people have coverage that would allow them to get them. I just, I don't know. I, I know it's not how things work, but if this if this was me, the minute this was available, I'd be I'd take the day off and just say to myself, "Well, I'm going to sit down and figure out how to make this happen right now." And I don't, I don't know, I don't know why there are just so many more people who will never pump even versus the ones who will, and there are no, you know, and all and all of the stuff in between. The, I think of it as a sense of inertia. Like for me, my my endo suggested quite a few times. No, this the pump might be good for you, and yeah, I know how this system works. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm still alive; it's running fine. But you know, my uh, clinical results when I got access to a C, to a CGM, and I started being able to look at the data myself and see what was going on, it was, oh, this isn't good enough. Right. Yeah. Well, back then you're just alive as your Mendoza line. You're like, well, I'm not dead. This is working. Well, yeah, you know. well, <laughs> I, I'm not dead, and I got an HbA1c from my doctor when I saw him, and it was a good one this time. So he said, "Come back in 12 months' time." Yeah. And oh, look, it was a bad one. Come, he says, "Come back in three months." And it was. I didn't know what I was doing differently because I didn't have the tools to see what was going on. Yeah, even that was random, huh? So and and yeah. So, so when you found yourself in that situation. If you were being given the golden ticket of you don't have to come back for a year, it doesn't mean that six weeks from now your A1C wasn't on its way up and you had no idea, really. Yeah, I had I had no idea. Right. Uh, but I, I've I've got my my path results back to two thousand or so, and I can see my HbA1c bounced around. It got up to eight point one. Um, it was down at seven. It got down to a massively low six when I started on the pump, and then it gradually started creeping up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I started looping in 2017, it went down to 5.8, went down to 5.6. It has never been as high as 5.6 since. Yeah. Um, so it ranges between 5.0 and 5.4. And you're active um, as well. You have, really, and you're paying attention, you're, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, I mentioned before my timing range for 70 to 140, is around 85. So my timing range for 70 to 180, which is the more traditional clinical range, is about 95%. Right. No, that's amazing. And my, and my time below 70 is about 2%. Yeah. No, that's, I have so, to say, I don't see, we don't see it. I mean, lows just are very infrequent. Yeah. You know. Um, so so I, I feel very comfortable with where all my glycemia is. I know day to day it can go up and down and bounce around, but overall I'm in a good place. I'm yeah. I'm feeling 
quite good because I actually had a scare a few years ago with some um, atherosclerosis, um, so partial blockages around the heart. I didn't have a heart attack or anything, but a random stress echo said, oh, that's abnormal, and we went down the investigation path, and I thought I was going to have stents and all sorts of stuff, but I managed to get out of it without that. And um, this was about the time that I was advancing a bunch of my glucose management. Yeah. And the cardiologist now looks at it and says, oh, you're fine. Great. So, so, so I've got the general feeling that health-wise, I'm in as good a place as I can be. Right. So a lot of what I'm trying to do is make sure that keep, keeps there, but also um, do what I can to make this stuff available to more people. Well, back then, were you feeding insulin? Did you have a lot of, like, were you eating a lot to stop lows and things like that? Or Well, well, well the... Actually, the um, the heart issue was about two and a half years ago, um, but I think I'd already started fixing things, but we hadn't noticed anything. Maybe in ideal worlds, you know, maybe it's it's already healing. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Because um, we didn't find it because of a heart attack. We found it because um, I had a faint because of low blood blood pressure, which the cardiologist says, "Oh, that was probably just that you were exercising more." Um, and so we've reduced the blood pressure meds because I was on mild dose on that. And now I'm on a half a mild dose. Right. <laughs> um, so we sort of found it by accident. So maybe it was something that was happening earlier and it's been getting better through this. Um, but it's certainly notably been, um, getting better because we've been looking a lot more closely at the heart stuff over the last few years and everything just keeps staying stable and. That's excellent. Well, good for you. That really is wonderful. Um, you don't, do you have any of uh, what we would consider, I don't know, issues from diabetes? You, you were trying to avoid the complications. I, I don't want to say complications, but do you have any, <laughs> do you have anything that you talk that you are dealing with? Um, there's, uh, no, no. Uh, I saw my ophthalmologist, um, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, uh, she's, she's got a very nice Sri Lankan accent, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but she says, there is no diabetes in your eyes. <laughs> so, Perfect. Oh, good. That's what I like to hear. There's no effect of diabetes, but it sounds funny the way she says it. Right. Um, and, and it was come back in 18 months. Um, and I'm, in fact, seeing her particularly because of a congenital thing we found in one of my optic nerves we found years ago and we started treating that we wouldn't have found it if i wasn't having my regular diabetes examinations mm-hmm. so diabetes in in my eyes is not an issue yeah. but i i feel that my eyes are healthier than they would have been without diabetes because we wouldn't have found this thing yeah so maybe saved you uh, from a from a different yeah. issue yeah mm-hmm. so the cardiologist says the heart stuff is not related to diabetes. It's just stuff that happens when you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, although he's only ever known me when I've had normal HbA1c, et cetera, levels. So I don't know if it was something in the past. Who knows? Um, I've got, uh, what was it? A hand physiologist said, I've got the early signs of something that may turn into contracture of one of the tendons on my hand but it's something that they can fix. It's not a, I think it's, it's just an early sign. Right. So maybe that might develop, but 
that's about as close to a diabetes issue as I can imagine. That sounds, pretty, that sounds pretty terrific, honestly. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Is it in your family at all, type one? No. You don't? Any- no. Well, um, I I remember, you know, stories about there was an aunt or something, a great aunt, whatever, who died or something. But back then, um, maybe <laughs> in the eight. Going, going back in time, you know, from what people knew about 10 years ago, if they'd gone back, they might have said she had type 2. But if they'd gone back now and done better tests, they might have said, oh, she actually had type 1. Who knows? Right, right. How about other autoimmune stuff? Like you uh, said the celiac disease. It, celiac disease is the only thing. And that came on after several decades. Okay. So that's the closest thing to a second autoimmune thing that I've got for you. How about in your family? Do you see any other thyroid stuff or digestion issues, anything at all with people? No, no, not yet. That's interesting. Do you have children of your own? No, no. I I have nieces and nephews. I can wind them up and hand them back. I don't have my own. (laughs) Listen, uh, (laughs) there are days that sounds right to me. So, um, Interesting. Okay. Has it been, I mean, you said you, you've done wildlife photography and other things like that. Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like diabetes has stopped you from doing things throughout your life. Uh, no, not, re- not really. Um, if I was looking at going on a, um, the Australian Antarctic division runs supply trips every year down to the bases in Antarctica and they have some humanities births on there where basically artists can go along and record what's happening and so on. So there was an opportunity as a photographer to get onto that. So I thought, oh, this is exciting. I looked into that. And as soon as it was, oh, no, you've got diabetes. You're not eligible. Oh. Because they make you go through all the same medical things as someone who was going to overwinter and stay there. Right. And, you know, if you don't have enough insulin, you're going to die, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was basically, no, no, you're not eligible. So that was a little bit disappointing. But, hey, guess what? I found another way. I've been to Antarctica four times now. Really? Um, I, I run photography trips down there. <laughs> you make the rules so you you you, you can allow people with diabetes <laughs> to go. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've um, that, that's also um, tickled the travel bug. Um, so I've been to lots of places around the world, um, whether it's, you know, jungles in Borneo or up in the Himalayas with snow leopards in the middle of winter. Um, and most places I go, I need to worry about keeping my insulin cool enough there. I need to make sure it wasn't going to freeze overnight. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I feel that, um, I live my life and diabetes come, has to come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Um, one of the other things that you were asking before, uh, what we what we should talk about, one of the other things that a lot of people uh, might find interesting is something that I'm not responsible for, but a lot of people seem to associate my name with, and it's the Anubis G6 transmitters. So, the Dexcom G6 transmitters, uh, they run for 100 days and then they turn off. Mm-hmm. Familiar with this? Um, and in the early days, people 
were able to cut them open, replace the batteries and seal them up again, and then they'd go for another 100 days. But Dexcom changed things so that you can't do that. Um, so I know some, I know some people who did some engineering and they basically, they modify G6 transmitters now. And we went through a phase where we were trying to work out how to get this working. Um, I managed to get a bunch of people in the US, including some of the people from the Facebook group, they donated old transmitters and we sent them over here and then basically pulling them apart and using them as test beds and trying to make things work. So what they have now is a system where an old Dexcom G6 gets recycled and it becomes an Anubis G6. And the Anubis comes with a, a battery that's sealed in the bottom with clear silicone. So when it's time to replace the battery, you can actually see, oh, that's where I dig in and dig out the battery and I stick this other new battery in and I seal it up again and it automatically resets. Um, these are really convenient because they have a bunch of other advantages. The transmitter doesn't time out after 100 days. It times out after 180 days because they have a bigger than normal battery in them. It doesn't stop your sensor after 10 days. It stops your sensor after 60 days. So I can run my sensors for 20 days and not have to do any restarts along the way. Hmm. That's really convenient. And you, do you notice that it, it holds up as far as accuracy goes? Oh, it, it's the G6. They didn't change any of that stuff. Yeah, right. So I, I just meant having not, the wire in for that long. Oh, um, with G5, my record was 53 days. Um, what I'm doing now is I used to run sensors for as long as I could because we had to pay for them all ourselves. Yeah. It cost a lot of money. So you'd be saying, all right, is it? unstable yet is it time to change it mm, no it can go another day and then suddenly it goes out the window and you oh right now i've got this outage i need to start up so um i set up something where i could if i've got two transmitters i put in a new sensor with a new transmitter and i've essentially got another program talking to it and i start the session on that transmitter and then when it's when it's warmed up and it's ready Hopefully, before the old one has completely died, I tell my loop system use that transmitter instead of that transmitter, hmm. and it gets gets good data. So I don't have two hour warm up as long as I've done everything right because it's already warmed up and had the first day of weirdness out of the way before I switch over. Wow. Um, so now that we've got things subsidised, and they subsidise them for you know, essentially one every ten days, I'm actually putting a new one in every twelve days. And then I'll I'll switch over to the new one after another day or so. So once I know it's stable, and it's really nice being able to see two lines and say, no, that that old sensor is going weird, or the new sensor is going weird. Suddenly, it's not just finger pricks and CGM. We've got finger pricks and two CGMs that we can compare. Right. And it means that my uh, the amount of time my system is actually making decisions and looping is pretty much 100% all the time because the CGM never actually has to disconnect and, and warm up. Right. Do you think the G7 will cause problems for the DIY community or do you think people will be able not, to? Not yeah. especially. The, the G7 is essentially doing some of the same stuff because each each sensor has its own transmitter. Mm -hmm. That's where That's where this new stuff comes on where after 10 days it says start the new one. 
but I'll keep using the old one for 12 hours. Yeah. So it, it's essentially doing the same thing, but it automatically switches over. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, it'll be harder for people to try and extend the system in the way that we've managed to do it with Anubis stuff. Now, the reason people associate me with some of the Anubis stuff is on my blog, I posted an article saying, this is an amazing thing, it works really well because I've been testing it for them. And I get people sending me messages saying, oh, can you sell me one? It's not mine. I'm not involved. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just using it. (laughs) I I, I just talked about it. Um, But the the guys who uh, distribute those, by the way, they're they're not selling them for profit. They're pretty much essentially giving them away. They get donated old transmitters that are getting recycled, and they just set up little machine shops that have um, laser engravers and cut everything out, and it's all automated. Wow! Just home workshop stuff from people who have diabetes for Help, the benefit of other it, people. Helping diabetes. Out people, yeah, that can't afford now, to do it. It's hard hard to imagine how any of that could be applied to a G six where everything's integrated and then applied, and then you take it off, and then it's done. G seven, not as though you, yeah, yeah, sorry, the G seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um. So I, I am thankful that we have subsidy here. So if I have to use them one every 10 days, I'll be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. No, it's amazing. I've uh, talked to people just, you know, in the last two years in Australia who are like, I can't afford anything to those same people sending me notes and saying, hey, look, I have a CGM now or I have a pump now. <laughs> or like, it's, it's amazing how quickly things are kind of moving there. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So um, I, I think... I expect people will be able to use G7 in the um, with the open source software, the do-it-yourself stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's already happening in, in Europe. People have been working out how to talk to them. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's been out uh, for just a handful of weeks now, right, in Europe. And, I mean, my expectation is it's going to be the next couple of months it'll be in the U.S. So you're going to start seeing it everywhere pretty soon. As long as the FDA, I don't know what the hell their their holdup is, but as soon as that goes away, I guess uh, we're going to see it here. It's crazy. Yeah, now in Australia, because most people are getting it through subsidy, um, I think introducing it here, it's not as though it'll get introduced and sold in cash sales and then eventually added to the subsidy. I, I think they'll be lining everything up so that when it comes here, it'll be with the subsidy. So I don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah. But... We've only had G6 here uh, for uh, about two years. Mm-hmm. I think you've had G- G6 for longer over there. Yeah. I, I know I hear Canadians often talk about the, feels like a chasm of time between when new stuff comes out and they actually get it. Um, I guess it's, it's similar. I don't know. I, I wish I understood more why that happens, but I just don't. Um, you would think that, people with diabetes everywhere right and there's governments you can charge for the stuff like let's get going <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> life is life is multifactorial um so there's a limited market in australia compared to the u.s mm-hmm. so all their costs for going through and setting up things that, with the regulators and importing and doing all those things there's more overhead yeah. so are they going to make enough sales for it to happen now that things are subsidized, if they can get onto the subsidized list, it's easier for them to say, all right, we're, we're going to have a steady supply. Right. So ho- hopefully that will enable things. To move quicker. But 
but yeah, dealing with different regulators in different places does add a lot of time. Yeah, it really does. And in the meantime, there's people who, I mean, you would think that if you were the government, why would you not say, all right, well, maybe we, we're not the, maybe we don't have as many people here with type one, but let's make it attractive for these companies to come in and service at least the people that we do have. That part is a little interesting, you know, like, well, well the, the other thing is uh, Ligumjev. Ligumjev has been available overseas for ages mm-hmm. and, and we're over here saying, it's really great. We've imported some and used it, and and it's great. Why can't we actually get it properly? And we're saying the same thing we had years before FIAS was approved here, and then still years before it actually became available. Um, but when it becomes available here, again, the drugs are subsidised through the pharmacy benefits scheme, the PPS. Mm-hmm. Um, but the price that the manufacturer gets is controlled by the government. Basically, the Australian government doesn't pay a lot for the drugs. Right. So that will play into, are we going to make enough sales at that price to make it worthwhile to bring it in? Yeah. Um, uh, Novo got Traceba approved in Australia a few years back. They don't actually import it, they sell it, because they're not going to move enough of it. Hmm. They sell uh, Rizodeg, the mixed one, but not not plain Traceba. That's interesting. Just as an example, someone said, no, it's not going to be worthwhile. And there's all sorts of weird things because there's the way the drug subsidy stuff was set up, uh, there's you can't introduce a newer form, uh, a, a different form of the same drug. Uh, you can't have too many forms of them. There's all sorts of controls um, without having to um, get a basically get less money for the drugs. Mm-hmm. There's all this um, competitive stuff built in, but that actually meant a few years ago that when Fiasp was introduced here, it was available in um, oh, because Fiasp is actually insulin aspart, so it's not actually a separate drug, it's the same as Nova Rapid, which was already in the list, which was available in. Um, pre-filled pens, in pen cartridges, and in vials. Okay. And then faster-acting faster insulin aspart is available in pens and vials, but they didn't introduce pen cartridges because that would be too many, and then they wouldn't get as much money from the government for the drug. <laughs> <laughs> so it's complicated. It's dizzying, yeah. It really is. I'm just, you know, people need stuff. It'd be nice to find a way to get it to them. Uh in a way that is affordable and and reasonable and easy, you know, it's tough to already tough to have diabetes. You know, you start jumping through hoops to get things accomplished, and you can see easily why it doesn't have. I mean, to take it out of diabetes for a second, my mom just moved with my brother, and um, she had to live with him for a little while while she established residency in a new, in a new state before she could go to this place that she wanted to go to and get the assistance that she needed. And she, you know, she wanted and everything and the amount of phone calls and paperwork. If my brother and his wife were not doing this work for him, my 80 year old mother could not accomplish any of this. Like there is a system set up for people that they functionally can't take part in. And, you know, you have to have somebody helping you. What if you don't? What if you don't have someone helping you? Like, 
then what happens? You, you know what I mean? Like it's it's fascinating. That actually opens up an, an, another concern with the fancy technology we use these days. What happens when we get older? Yeah, I think. And we go, that. and we're going to aged care. So that's. I mean, we have quite a few loopers in Australia who are in their 70s, and I think some are in their 80s now, and it's something that people talk about. What's going to happen um, later on at some point in my life? And I guess it could happen to all of us. What happens if I'm involved in an accident? I, I have a friend from university who has an acquired brain injury and uh, later develops diabetes and isn't able to deal with any of this stuff. Right. Everything has to be through a a carer and what's going to happen when the family carer gets old. Mm -hmm. um, so that feeds back into, we need to make this technology as accessible to people as possible so that not just um, can people without the background and experience that say I have can use it, but also that someone looking after them who isn't especially skilled can yeah. look after them. No, no, I think about that. Um, I mean, you have diabetes. I'm sure you think about it for yourself, but as somebody who's looking at a child with it, I think about that constantly because my daughter is going to be older and in need of help at a time where I won't exist anymore. That's hard to deal with, you know, like, is she going to meet a person who will help her or, you know, will she have enough money to be in a healthcare system that can help her? Also, I've seen my mom in that healthcare system and due respect, they're not great with giving you a pill when they're supposed to sometimes. Or, you know, managing things that are not nearly as complicated as diabetes. So, I don't know. It, it, it's it's well, a well, frightening idea. It, it, it still comes up every now and then, but we're still, um, we, we are hopefully moving away from the world where someone would go into hospital for, and they have diabetes for some unrelated thing, and the doctor's would take and the nurses would take their insulin away and then it's oh you you need to have your evening insulin now but you haven't given me the food yet the food's not here no no we need to chart this now or you have your food now we'll come around later with the insulin all of this stuff is tightly integrated into into our lives that like i i have a colonoscopy coming up mm -hmm. um in, in a little while and i'm thinking ahead to when it comes to um, what day is it on, uh, when am I going to be starting my CGM sensor, where is my pump site going to be because I'm going to be lying on the bed this way and they're going to need to put a cuff there and put a line in here and it's no good if I have technology in the way. So all this stuff is tightly integrated into how we live our lives. Yeah. And oh, anyway, all right, now you're bumming me out, David. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's... Okay, I'm actually um, participating in a summit in a couple of weeks. Um, one of the big research bodies here is um, having a series of panel discussions. And one of the things we're talking about is um, how this stuff integrates. And um, I, the reason that's in my mind is that sort of some of the things we talked about before some of the design, de design decisions behind this technology are often made by people who don't actually live with it mm -hmm. and, and don't actually realise that, oh, it affects this. Oh, that means you're going to put this site there. So for me, an Omnipod, I, I use Omnipod Dash every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, 
not regularly, but I've got a couple of boxes. And you know, if I'm going for water sports or something, I might change to a, a pod and a waterproof looping phone for that weekend. Um, but I need to be very careful about where I put the pod because it's very particular about the radio reception. Mm-hmm. If someone's dealing with the PDM, which is the insulate way of doing things, you pick up your PDM and you bolus or you change a basal or something, and then you put the PDM away. Whereas me, I've got the looping phone that's talking to it, and it needs to talk to it every five minutes. And if the pod is on my right-hand side and the phone is on my left-hand side, and I'm a big bag of water right in the middle blocking the radio signals, things don't always work neatly. And people are finding that with the uh, Omnipod 5 that you need to make it's better if the CGM has good line of sight, line of sight to yeah. the um, to the pod. It's the same sort of thing. I, I have to think about where my phone is, where the CGM is, and where the pump is. Yeah. So flexibility for me, the when I'm using a tubed pump, I can have my pump in pretty much the same spot every time, and the tubing just goes to wherever the site is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. in in some ways. Um, a tubed pump is better for me than a pod because you have that that option yeah so you always yeah. know where the pump is going to be and then you just move the site yeah i mean there have been times uh when it's oh well in for these couple of weeks it's on my right side so i need to make sure i put the looping phone in a pocket on my right or a pocket on my left mm-hmm. whereas these days it's just no it's the same every time my my pump lives in a little running belt a speed belt yep that's underneath my clothes around my waist. So it's always in the same spot. And then the tubing runs along the belt and then up or down to wherever the site is. You know, if um, you tried to make this argument to Arden, she'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not attaching anything to me. <laughs> so I can't get up. It's just so interesting well, where your everybody's um, perspective comes from their entry point, really. You know, yeah, you have a so different perspective. This thing of tubed versus untubed, I started off with um, an Animas pump. Um, and um, oh, I had a a talisman around my neck and an SOS, whatever talisman's mm-hmm. medical alert thing. Um, so if I was going, it was in the middle of the night, I was going to the toilet or something, and I had to put my pump somewhere, I would probably clip it to that around my neck. And then the tubing runs down to where the site is. But I always had this extra thing I was carrying around and having to put somewhere or back into a pocket or something. Yeah. So, yes, there was something attached to me. But when I started using the looping systems, I no longer had to touch the pump. The pump would hide away in a pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and my relationship with it changed. Yeah. Because now, now the pump is in that uh, little running belt around my waist, and including when I go to bed. So if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to go to the bathroom, I just get up and I walk down to the bathroom. The pump comes with me. I don't have to. There's no feeling of, oh, I've got something attached to me. There's tubing somewhere. It just comes with me. Yeah. Yeah. I know Whereas, some people who put it like on their bedside table or it lives in the, they leave it loose in the bed with them. I've heard people describe what you just described. It's interesting how it all works differently for everyone. If you find a system that works for you and, and I've used different systems along the way and that, and they've all whatever I've been using at the time has mostly worked for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, when the pods were introduced here a year and a half or so ago, um, there were some people 
so the companies find um, people with diabetes who are who become advocates, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this wonderful system. It's changed my life, which is great and it's fine. But many times, um, some of those people, this is their first pump. So a lot of the things they describe about, oh, I can change this, I can change that. Is yeah, you can do that on any pump, and they say, but there are no tubes. I don't have something dangling attached to me, and I say, oh, do I have some? I don't feel like I have anything dangling attached to me anymore. So, in fact, when I use a pod, um, I'm restricted in terms of I need to fill it with the right amount of insulin because there's this decision when I get to the end, have I put enough in it to last the 72 to 80 hours? If I've put more in it, am I going to pull some of that out and put it into something else? Because my insulin doesn't cost as much here, you can sort of say, well, I'll just use a new pod and fill it with new insulin. When I was using the Lumjet that I've imported myself, I was a little bit more sensitive because mm-hmm. every drop was was money. <laughs> um, the um, and, and there are issues if I have a problem with my site, then I have to put a new pod on. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tonight, I, I put a new cannula in for my pump and I put it in and it was, oh, that's not working. I can feel that that's completely uncomfortable. I took it off and the drop of blood comes out and it's, no, that's a bad site. I'll just put it in somewhere else. And suddenly I've wasted 50 cents or a dollar or something on a cannula. Mm-hmm. That's, I haven't wasted a whole pod and then have to ring up and say, you know, all this hassle about so David, it, it, here's the other so, here's so, the other side so, of it. If in you're in America, you get your your doctor to write you for more pods than you need, and then you draw out the insulin if it's new and pop it in the other one and keep moving. Like it's it's all the same. Like, yeah, you're, it's it, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. But um, and, and there are, there are ways around this. We live. We each live within the constraints of the exactly. system that we're using. Yeah. But each time we use a pod, and I get to the end of it, and it's right, I'm going back to my other pump. That feels like old faithful comfortable territory going back to my tubed pod so sure. that the the pod to me at the moment feels more restrictive it's less restrictive i can go swimming i can everything keep running but in terms of general wear it doesn't feel the same because i'm not used to it well th- you've just described exactly why all these device manufacturers are so focused on getting people when they're newly diagnosed as customers oh, yeah. because then this becomes your norm and you know, it's hard to imagine otherwise. You know, it doesn't make doesn't make the other option um, untenable. It just makes it different than what you're accustomed to. So, and you are right. Like, no matter what scenario you get put in, you do find a way to make it work as seamlessly as possible with your life. Doesn't matter if it's a pump or a CGM or whatever it is. You 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 fit it in and you make it work. And then suddenly it feels like this is the option, the only option. So, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and different systems have different advantages. And sure. I I think a, lo- a lot of people, be- as you say, they get locked into the system that they're using and they don't necessarily realise that the grass might be greener on the other side of, of, of that fence or maybe on the other side of the highway, mm-hmm. maybe just in the next paddock, whatever. So when I started on an NMS pump, I, I was using the infusion sets that my my diabetes educator had suggested right and i was using them for years those were the ones that i used oh if there's a supply issue and i can't get those what am i going to do 
I'll, I'll manage to get some. Oh, I've, I've got it out, got out of it. It's okay. And some of my friends who are interstate, they were using some different ones and they were having supply issues and all sorts of dramas. And I realized that, well, maybe I should try one of these other ones. Maybe if I wasn't tied to this one, I'd have some flexibility if there was a shortage. Yeah. Now, it's convenient here that all of our infusion sets are subsidized to the same level. Once you're registered as a pump user, you can get any of those at subsidized price. I see. So, so I can, in fact, switch to a different pump type if I have the pump. I can buy the other supplies. I don't need a prescription for each one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that meant that, oh, let's try the steel cannula. Let's try the angle cannula. I'll get a box of those and see how they go. Um, so I've now used pretty much everything, and I've found the ones that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to the stage that you know I, I get all secondhand pumps of different types. I've now used pretty much every type of pump on the market. Yeah. Um, and most CGM. So my decisions about which ones I'm going to keep using is I've used some of the others. They don't necessarily feel right, but sometimes there's something that, oh, that's nicer because, for example, I started using the, what were they, the comfort um, sites, which uh, Tandem now call them the very soft, Medtronic call them the silhouette, the angled one. Mm-hmm. And they turned out to be, Oh, they were great. Um, they were nice and comfortable. It's manual insertion, which was quite daunting, but once you got that over and done with, it was fine. And it actually turned out that I can pack a lot more of them in a camera bag when I'm going to Africa. <laughs> so that makes <laughs> them all, good. Yeah. All, all, all sorts of other advantages. It's so interesting um, to hear people talk about these little things. I remember when Arden was really young and we were looking for pumps. And we were drawn to the idea of the Omnipod, a nurse practitioner who tried everything they could to scare us away from, like, don't use that. They Everything they could think of, like, your daughter's too lean, it won't work. You're not going to like the angle that the cannula goes in on. If you don't like the angle the cannula goes in on, you can't go to a different set. And blah, blah. And I just was like, wow, like, I look back on that now and I realize she was just coming from the perspective that she had, which was, you know, this this back then this insulin pump was brand new she didn't have any experience with it these were her experiences before she didn't really know if what she was saying was going to apply to us she was just like here's all the things you should be scared about and you know I'm like okay thanks we tried it anyway and and then those things didn't end up being an issue and it's a long story but in 20 seconds like two years after Arden started an insulin pump, our our practice uh, apologized to us. They came to us and said, we're sorry for how we tried to scare you away from using this pump. Like your daughter's having so much success with it. We're going to start talking to other kids her age about it. And I thought, like, that's just always stuck with me. Like they were so yep. adamant. They had rules and lists and reasons. And they were like, this is why you can't buy this this thing and then later they're like yeah we were wrong about that sorry i was like jesus okay what else are you wrong about you know is how it made me feel well yeah um but i i in in my own head i i have lots of experience with i've used lots of different equipment different cgms different glucose meters pumps all sorts of stuff i'm not necessarily an expert in all of them but i've noticed some of the differences and 
um, I sometimes point those out to people because they haven't necessarily noticed those. They don't know those things going in. So right. try to give people as much information as possible. But um, yeah, I, I guess there's the, the tra- the, 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 the trap there. Um, I shouldn't necessarily be trying. I shouldn't be trying to frighten someone away from using something because I find something an issue. I can point out to them that this thing exists and it might be an issue for them. That but person trying to find that mid, that middle ground of yes. trying to scare someone or trying to inform someone is always tricky. It's all communication. Had that person done what you just explained, it would have been completely different. You know, it would have said, "Look, here are some things that could possibly happen. Here's why this may or may not be important to you. This pump over here won't do that." This one will like, I would have been like, okay, that would have been information to take in. But instead it felt like, uh, yeah. I don't know. It felt like a scared person or an anti-sales pitch. Like you started looking around, like, do they work for somebody? Like they were so just, you know, pushy. Um, but I don't think looking back, that's not, wasn't their intention. I just think they had a certain set of, pri- uh, I don't want, I was going to say priorities, but I think it's perspective. I think they've, they had experiences and perspective and they were, unknowingly defending that perspective uh, against what they saw as being different. It's just, it's fascinating. In my heart, I think people should use what works best for them. Like I, you know, I mean, I take ads on the podcast, but I I mean, I have to be honest, like, I don't care if you buy an Omnipod or not. Like I want you to have an insulin pump that works for you. And if Omnipod's the one, great. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I don't know. Like sometimes I think that can get blended a little bit. Like, well, he has ads for Dexcom, but you get a Libre. I, I mean, what do I give it? Well, pre- presumably, presumably, you might not be so comfortable running ads for a company if you had concerns about the product. Of course, no. There have been plenty that I've turned down over the years, and there are some that have been easier to take because I have that personal experience with them. Like I can, you know, like when Dexcom comes to me and yeah. says, "Hey, can we buy an ad on your podcast?" I immediately think, "What are the reasons why?" When anyone comes to me and asks for an ad. I, my first thought is I want to know all the reasons why I shouldn't do this, because if they're too great, um, or it's bad for the people listening, I won't do that. And they may, then that may sound like, that may sound like I'm protecting you all, which I am to some degree, but I'm also protecting myself because if I say, Hey, use this pen and you all run out and buy this pen and it sucks. Well, then you're going to stop listening to the podcast. You're going to be like, oh, the guy was wrong about the pen. I wonder what else he's wrong about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a there's a bit of self-preservation in there as well for me. And I have comfort with the the things that I advertise for. I mean, like, Jivo Kaipo Pen's a great example. That thing came out, and I was like, well, that's brilliant. Like, like yes, finally a form factor I can put in my daughter's hand. Her friends can understand it, and et cetera. You ever try to explain the Lily Red Kit to... Uh, a nine-year-old, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, yeah. We uh, the only glucagon we have here is the Novo Hypo Kit, which is essentially the same thing as the Red Lily Kit. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep making it because Lily's stopping. Yeah, well, that that's Novo's product at the glucagon product at the moment. Yeah, so there's no signs that they're stopping. Good. We don't have access to Baxemi or Gvoke or any of those. Yeah, no, and and uh, good. I'm sorry. I, I was reminded from what you were saying, some of the stuff that comes up on my blog and what we were saying about ad- advising other people. There's always, when I started writing things and putting it down on the blog, I was always conscious that this stuff's going to be up there. Anyone can read it. Yeah. And 
I don't want to be saying the wrong thing. But there's also this big thing with the uh, the open source, the do-it-yourself equipment of this is not medically approved. If I tell someone, I can't tell someone you should you should build this system and it will work for you. I can't do that legally. I would get myself in a lot of trouble. But luckily what I can do and stay on the right side of the law is say, this is what I'm doing and it's working for me. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I've noticed about it, for example. So I always try to keep that in mind and try to not cross the line of giving something that could be misconstrued as medical advice. Yeah. I always have it in the context of my experience. So I write about a lot of technology, but it's mostly in terms of I have actually used this. This is my opinion of it. These are the things that I've noticed. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been working very well. It, it's quite pleasing when I'm at a diabetes conference um, as one of the um, community advocates there, and I get stopped in the hallway by endocrinologists who say, thank you for the blog. I was able to direct some of my patients to it. Yeah. Oh, and that's great. <laughs> I, I completely understand what you're talking about. And I'm never not knocked over when somebody comes into the Facebook group and they answer those quick questions about, you know, what's your attachment to diabetes, blah, blah, blah. How did you hear about this? When people say, oh, my doctor sent me here. I'm always like, wow, that's great. Like, just terrific. And and I take all your points too. Like, you're just, I'm just sharing what's worked for for my daughter basically and things that i've noticed along the way and uh but the uh the feeling of i mean i i guess the way i handled it is i'm i might do a good job of sometimes sounding like i'm like oh i just thought of this which just happened a time or two where something's like popped into my head as we were talking but for the most part i, I don't say stuff on here until I've seen it work over and over and over again for my daughter i that would be irresponsible i i don't understand yeah, I couldn't do that either. So it's a it's a great thing you're it, doing. It, it really is. It, it, it does feel sometimes when I'm um, moderating some of the Facebook groups, um, and it does feel sometimes that I'm being very wishy-washy with my answers, saying, well, you could do this, but you should see your doctor. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I, I try to just say, if this was me or the way I see this, it could be wrong for you. I'm only looking at one graph. There's no way for me to really I, know. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. But you should I, be I, looking I, in this direction. I, I, I guess I've just realized, I guess I had a lot of um, experience in that before the diabetes advocacy because I've been involved in amateur photography stuff for a long time, mm-hmm. the Australian Photographic Society and various photo competitions and giving critique on photos. And you, you learn very early on to give constructive critique right. and not criticism per se. Um, and you can always find something constructive to say about pictures. So when I'm giving feedback on photos and, and it's something that I still do to some of the um, camera clubs, um, I, I'm very careful to try and give suggestions and things that they may not have thought about without saying this is good, this is bad. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm I'm setting myself up for being attacked at that point. I tend That's to lean nice. into the, um, what is it called? Is it the Socrates questioning method or, like, the idea of teaching by asking questions? You, you know, like, the, uh, oftentimes it, it's almost, it's a version of you can, you know, teach a man to fish kind of a thing. And you I, know. I have got into trouble with that with my family at times when they say, 
Don't ask me another question. Just answer the question. <laughs> well, online, I find it's great to say, hey, well, do you think this or this just happened? And then you kind of let the, they almost, sometimes people know, they just don't know how to put the pieces together. Yeah. And, you know, I find that pretty a pretty valuable way to talk to everybody. But, uh, David, I have to jump off in a minute. But uh, this yep. was terrific. I just want to make sure that we covered everything, that you don't have anything left hanging that you that you didn't get out. I don't think so at this point. Um, I think I've covered a broad selection. There'll be something new and different that's happening next month or whatever, but that's next month. I, I guess this will this will take a while for this to come out anyway. It'll still hopefully be fairly up-to-date when it does. Yeah, well, because we're talking about things that are more uh, time-sensitive with technology, I, I will slide it up on the schedule so it doesn't it doesn't sound like it came out of left field. Uh, but yeah, the thing's things change quickly, right? Like Arden is off at school right now using Eros pods and, and the version of the loop that she's using now. And she might come home and uh, over like the holiday break and we might switch her to, you know, something different and send her back with something different. I have no idea. You just reminded me about something that went through my head earlier when she was saying, I don't want to carry this PDM. I want the system running off my phone. But she's still happy to carry around an orange link or Riley link or whatever. So that is the gateway. What? What? So she's not happy about it. It was a. Uh, <laughs> trust me, she hates that too. <laughs> uh, but, but I got her to be okay with that by telling her that eventually there'll be a system that doesn't require that, um, and it's smaller. And she has it. She keeps it in her diabetes bag, and the um, orange link seems to have a much better. Uh, a field of coverage than the Riley link did. So she's the Riley link was like, you had to bring the bag with you everywhere you went. But now in, you know, if she's in her dorm room where she's in our house, she can walk away from the orange link and still has a a, a good connection to it. So that's become less of an issue over time. And then I assume we're going to go to the dash version and, and lose that, that issue. Well, we, we never had the Eros here in Australia. Um, so they finally, it got approved, but never sold here. And then eventually they tried to sell, but they decided to do it with the dash. So yeah. they switched over. So, um, the, the, the reason that came to mind is I've been an iPhone user for, for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't use the iPhone for my diabetes. I use an Android phone. So yeah. I'm carrying two phones, right. but my Android, Android phone is like um teeny tiny yeah yeah almost the size of my palm right um and it just had enough battery to run all day and it's doing all the stuff that's sitting in the background um and it displays out out to a watch so i can just see my cgm data at any point if i need it yeah but i'm happy carrying that second device whereas some people come to these systems say i'm an iphone user i I wouldn't touch Android. That's that's the dark side. Um, <laughs> I don't care about that. <laughs> just, you're basically using so, your an, a controller as well. It just didn't come from a company, honestly, right? By using yes, an Android and, phone. And, yeah. and and in fact, it, it stays away, hidden in a pocket most of the times. I am a guy. I sometimes wear cargo pants. I have a lot more pocket options than many girls. I do understand this. Yeah, yeah Arden just doesn't want to. Uh... I don't know if you should see like the idea of holding two devices. I, I if I offered her two phones, 
she'd be like, no, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know why you would, but I mean, she wouldn't want to do that either. Like she just, she's trying to be very minimalistic with what she's carrying. So she's doing a good job. Her bag for diabetes is it's tiny. It's got a phone in it, that orange link, G-Voke, uh, a meter, the Contour X one meter, test strips, and, you know, some gummy bears and a juice box. And she gets it all into this little tiny thing. It's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, she's, yeah. she's doing uh, good. Um, and the other thing that came to mind was, uh, I sort of paraphrasing one of the other things we were talking about in terms of people look at the stuff that's working for me with my hands-free loop system. Um, it's not loop with a capital L, hands-free looping system. Mm-hmm. Um, and say, well, you don't have to do any work, but then, <laughs> then I can point it out to them and various friends of mine who were there in conversations turn around and say, yeah, but he put in a lot of learning to get there. He did a lot of work early on to work out how to control it, and now he can take the benefit of hands-free. So part of the the thing that we're hoping to get out of things like this trial and other stuff is more knowledge about how to actually turn it on for people without them having to put in all that homework. Yeah. No, that's going to be the next big step, right, is not having to understand the background to make it do all these amazing things, so... I don't know. Like I've seen some people try to make that turn that into a business. I don't know how well that'll work out um, as time moves forward or not. But uh, it seems it's a weird thing to be involved in. You know, setting up a do-it-yourself algorithm to give somebody else insulin. Like it's I don't know. It sounds like you're gonna have to sign a couple of things that say you're not holding anybody responsible in the beginning uh, to get to that. Well, you know. Well, well, I, I'm dealing with algorithms to give myself insulin. So if, if I make modifications to the code, which I occasionally do, it's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm running them. I've got a, a bank of test phones and test pumps here that are running on a copy of my CGM feed to make sure they're doing the right thing. And eventually I'll decide, yes, I'm willing to run that myself. I don't have to go through ethics approval and all sorts of stuff to do that. <laughs> um, so when it comes time to running the algorithms through the clinical trials, that will give, um, the evidence for hopefully at some point a commercial company will say well we will take that and we'll make a product out of that using that algorithm which has been proven so i, I hope that all I, I think i don't care if someone makes money out of selling that yeah um right. hope it would be nice if i can earn, earn a living along the way somewhere as as <laughs> as well as anything else i need to do but um the end goal is improving everyone's lives yeah i always think that like like when um oh god what's his name came along and said we're gonna bring a version of loop to to market god why i howard at tidepool tidepool i mean i'm starting to feel like that's so long ago i can't remember the word tidepool is is you know like and i understand the process (laughs) you know what i mean like i understand the process is 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 what it is but i mean by the time you get that thing through there's so many more versions of it. You, you think, well, you should have started with that one. You know what I mean? And and I guess that's also, if you make that decision, you'll never get to the end, but it it is what's exciting about people doing it in a, in a do it yourself atmosphere is that, you know, I mean, something comes out and they go, okay, we'll adapt it. We'll test it. You know, we'll get a few people together. We'll make a beta test out of it. We feel comfortable giving it out to people here, you know, give it a shot. Like that stuff doesn't, isn't taking three years when it's being done by regular people. So no, so, so in generally the do it yourself stuff is 
always going to be a little bit ahead in terms of features and functions. Sure. Hopefully, people do it in a safe way. Yeah. Uh, many of us are keeping all the safety in mind when we're designing this stuff. Um, I've I've seen in some of the meetings uh, I've heard an endo stand up and ask the question: Now that there are all these commercial systems available, why would anyone? Why would you use a do-it-yourself system that you have to build yourself? And it's because it's current technology. It's not technology from three years ago. It's got it's got more features. Not yeah. everyone will want to do this, but that's why I do it. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why uh, we should take any kind of options away from people. Like I, I don't care if it, it gets down to yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess people, his, his, his 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 thought is why do I need to deal with this problematic DIY stuff now that there's a commercial thing? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see feeling that way. I can also see, like, I'm not going to lie to you still, like, going into, um, I'm so bad at this, I don't even know, uh, the program on the Mac that runs the the simulator and then puts it on your phone is called Xcode, right? And, yep. so, and every time I look at Xcode, I don't know what I'm looking at. I know where I have to click, and I know what I have to do. But if you asked me to explain any of that to somebody... I'd be like, I don't know what any of this is. And I, so I, I get not wanting to feel like that because it's uncomfortable. You know, I, I sent a complete, my daughter got a new, you know, got a laptop when she started school and then got another one when she started um, college. And the one that she was done with after high school was shot. It's basically useless. And she's like, well, what do we do with this? And most of the time we would trade it in for credit or something like that and try to, you know, make a little money off it. I was like, keep it. We'll put Xcode on it. And you can take it to school with you because Xcode wouldn't even fit on the laptop that she had along with all the other things she needed for school. I get not wanting to be involved in all that. Um, But being able to text her last night and say, hey, it looks like you needed a secondary bolus or, you know, being able to look at a meal remotely and say, hey, uh, the algorithm is struggling because I don't think it has enough autonomy. You should go back to the meal from two hours ago and tell it it was 75 carbs, not 65 carbs. And like that, and then all of a sudden the algorithm's like, ooh, I didn't know that. And then bang, it works. And like that kind of stuff is it's pretty great. I can't lie about that. You know, that, that stuff is it's pretty damn great. So anyway. Uh David, this was really wonderful. I appreciate you doing this with me. I'm sorry I kept you so long, but thank you very much. No, no. It's it's fine. Oh, it's only 2 a.m. <laughs> well, that's why you don't know. You're half you're, at this point, you're just like, ah, it's all good. But I need, no, to, get, I, need I, to get you. I, to I'm a night owl. I'm a night owl. Okay. But it's fine. So thank you for the chat. No, I, I appreciate it. For people on the podcast, too. No, I'm, I'm sure people are going to love it. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And I know it's hard to get on the show and it takes forever. So thank you for being patient. And people um, can message me on the Facebook group. I'm I'm there. Yeah, and uh, and I wanted to say too, your bionicwookie.com. Is that right? It's dot com. That is correct. Yeah, excellent. So people can see some of the stuff you were talking about there. Uh, it's a great website. Well, I want to thank David for coming on the show and sharing all that great diabetes knowledge with us. Some really astonishing stuff in this one. Thanks also to Touched by Type 1. Don't forget to go to touchedbytype1.org and find them on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a follow. Check out what they're doing. Long, long time supporter of me and the podcast. Hope you can support them. If you're enjoying the show, tell someone else about it. Share this episode with them. 
Go find the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. And of course, subscribe in an app, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your audio. You know what I mean? Subscribe and follow. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.